0: This is the Biblical Unitarian Podcast. Greetings, friends, and welcome to the Biblical Unitarian Podcast, the podcast that aims to start conversations about the oneness and unity of God and about the humanity of Jesus. My name is Dustin Smith, and as always, I will be your host. This is episode 213, entitled, Misunderstood Freedom Offered by Jesus. In John chapter 8. Yes, we are still exploring John chapter 8 and the many narrative misunderstandings within this very important book, the Gospel of John. Now, as a reminder to my listeners, the theme of misunderstanding, which dominates the narratives of the Gospel of John, appears like this. First, Jesus makes an ambiguous statement. Second, the conversation partner misunderstands Jesus, either by interpreting it literally or by asking an inappropriate question. And third, either Jesus or the narrator explains what Jesus really meant, although sometimes the explanation is missing but implied. So in this week's episode, we will continue to look at the misunderstandings in the Gospel of John, particularly in John chapter 8, focusing specifically on the misunderstanding surrounding the freedom that Jesus, the Son of God, offered to his disciples. What does Jesus mean by this freedom, and how does it move the conversation into a discussion about Abraham's legitimate children? Why is it important to take Jesus and his acknowledgement to be a human being very seriously, as we see in this week's passage? And how does Jesus define what it means to truly be a son of Abraham and even a son of God? Let's find out on this week's episode of the Biblical Unitarian Podcast. Our first point today is the freedom offered by the Son of God misunderstood. We'll be reading out of John chapter 8, and I want to start in verse 31. So Jesus was saying to those Jews who had believed him, If you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine, and you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. They answered him, We are Abraham's descendants and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son does remain forever. So, if the son makes you free, you will be free indeed. That's John chapter 8, verses 31 through 36. This is a very interesting passage, and I want to draw out some key points before we go and look a little bit more closely at the theme of misunderstanding. First, what jumps out to me is that there is a contrast between those who initially believe in Jesus and those who continually abide in him. Now this word for abiding is a very common word in the discipleship passages in the Gospel of John, and it gets translated in this particular translation as continuing, if you continue in my word. But the Greek means to abide. It could also mean to remain. And so Jesus wants those who have already begun their life of belief and faithfulness to now make the commitment to continue to abide in His Word, to continue within His Word. Of course, Jesus' Word is His message of the kingdom, His gospel message of the kingdom of God. That is what the Word of Jesus indicates. The second point that jumps out to me is that our particular passage, naturally in its context, follows the previous passage, which is chapter 8, verse 30, in which many of the Jews actually did believe in Jesus. And of course, this particular act of discipleship requires the further explanation that Jesus gives in our present passage. Namely, that those who had believed in him need to continue in Jesus' word. They need to abide in Jesus' word. The third point is that the truth that is offered by Jesus' word is a truth that offers freedom. But Jesus' freedom is not some sort of nationalistic freedom from military occupation by foreign nations. It's not a freedom from imperialism. and It's not a freedom from exile in a nationalistic sense. Jesus is speaking here of a deeper freedom, a freedom from sin. And sin, of course, is something that Jesus has already formally discussed with his listeners within John chapter 8. He told them that they would die in their sin if they do not believe that he is God's authorized and commissioned Messiah. If they don't believe that I am he, namely, I am the Messiah. They would die in their sin they don't want to be a slave to sin and so jesus here continues to talk about the freedom from this sin which of course involves acknowledging who jesus is by acknowledging his gospel message that he has preached i also think it's interesting that it is this particular sort of freedom that brings about the confusion and misunderstanding in the mind of the jews the Persons of the narrative that have not yet come to believe in Jesus. They are not yet persuaded by what Jesus teaches. So let's move to our second point and look a little bit more closely at this misunderstanding. Point number two is looking closer at the theme of misunderstanding involving Jesus' freedom. So we'll go through the three steps of the theme of misunderstanding. Of course, the first step is that Jesus makes an ambiguous statement. We see this very clearly in verses 31 through 32. So Jesus was saying to those Jews who had believed in him, if you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine, and you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. So now it's actually Jesus who is repeating his own words in an emphasis. We can see there that in verse 31, it says that Jesus was saying to those Jews, and this is the imperfect Elayin, Jesus was saying, he was continually saying and reiterating this particular point, you've got to continue in my word, you've got to remain in my gospel, you've got to abide in my good news. And if you do this, then you are truly my disciples, you are genuinely my disciples he was emphasizing this with the repetition of this emphasis and we can see that with the phrase Jesus was saying to the Jews now there's a further stress in the Greek in the second person plural pronoun you which would be you all or in the American South y'all this, of course, is used in the nominative case. And the emphasis, of course, is emphatic because the subject of the verb is already bound up in a verb with the verb remaining and abiding. And so when Jesus says that if you continue in my words, then you are truly disciples of mine. And so there is this stress there. Not so much on the act of continuing and abiding and remaining, but on the subjects. If you continue, he is making this particular point about those who had believed in him and thus making them contrast from those who have not believed in him. And this, of course, is identified by their behavior. We can also see that there is this Interchange between the true disciples who know the truth. And there is a commonality, a semantic commonality in English and in Greek with these particular words. The Greek is going to connect this word truly with the noun truth. You are truly my disciples, you will know the truth, and this truth will make you free. So If they are genuinely Jesus' disciples, then, of course, they are going to know the genuine truth. That's just an interesting point. Now, this truth is going to set the disciples free, the true disciples, meaning it offers freedom. But what sort of freedom does Jesus intend with this particular promise? We can now look at the second part of the theme of misunderstanding where the conversation partner misunderstands it either by interpreting it literally or asking an appropriate question. So I get the sense here that there is a absurd literalness in the way that the Jews understand what Jesus says. And so we can see this in chapter 8, verse 33. They answered him, We are Abraham's descendants and have never Been enslaved to anyone? How is it that you say you will become free? And it seems here that they understand the freedom that Jesus is talking about in the sense of a nationalistic freedom, being literally free from being slaves, being a slave to a nation. And anyone who knows the Jewish history and the Israelite history from the Hebrew Bible, knows that the response here is a gross overstatement, because the Jewish people are certainly aware that they were slaves in Egypt, as we see in the book of Exodus. We know that this slavery was understood and acknowledged because it was commemorated by the annual Passover celebration. Their slavery from Egypt was recalled in another celebration the feast of tabernacles and they were certainly slaves to babylon after babylon exiled them in 587 bce so the history of the jewish nation of the israelite people is full of not insignificant moments where they were certainly enslaved to four nations whether it be egypt whether it be babylon and there's a question as to whether or not they had a real sense of freedom under the Romans in the first century. So their comment here is certainly a misunderstanding, and it is a gross overstatement to say that we have never been enslaved to anyone. I find that kind of amusing. Now the third part of the theme misunderstanding is that either Jesus or the narrator explains what Jesus meant. And we get this explanation in verses 34 through 36. Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is the slave of sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever, but the son does remain forever. So if the son makes you free, you will be free indeed. Now this redirects the particular conversation from slavery to sin away from a slavery from foreign nations now of course the one who is a slave to sin is someone who does not remain in the house forever and this is talking about a typical household that might have slaves might have these persons in a household household is going to be led by a father figure and if that father has a son then the son is the primary heir of the household. And the son is going to, in that role, carry certain privileges and prerogatives from the father. The father, of course, is the head of the household. In particular, the son is going to enjoy a permanent place in his parent's house namely his father's house and so we could see a contrast between a slave who does not remain in the house forever because it doesn't have any responsibilities it doesn't have any rights but the son who does bear the privileges and the prerogatives of the father the head of the household is going to remain in the house forever The son, of course, is free within his own household. The slave is not free in the household in which he works. And what Jesus is emphasizing here is that the son is able to confer the particular freedom that he possesses upon others. The son can make other people free. The slave, of course, does not have that privilege and prerogative within the household that he serves. Now, the discussion here about sons being genuine heirs of a household, while slaves do not naturally have that, is going to evoke the stories about the patriarch Abraham and Abraham's children. Abraham had children, Ishmael and Isaac. The child of the slave woman, that child being Ishmael, was not a legitimate heir of Abraham's family. It was only the true son, Isaac. He was going to be the heir. And this is why the Jews respond to what Jesus is saying with their emphasis that they are legitimate children of Abraham. Jesus is saying the point about the slave not being legitimate in its responsibilities and its privileges that could be drawn upon from the head of the household where the son can do that but i think the only way to make sense of how the story continues is by the drawing upon these stories of abraham and the fact that he had one son in an illegitimate way ishmael and another son in a legitimate way through sarah and of course that son is isaac through whom the Israelite and Jewish people draw their own lineage. So let's see how this particular line of thought continues as we continue reading in John chapter 8. This is going to move us to our third and final point, the Christological implications to Jesus' misunderstood freedom in John chapter 8. I'm going to start reading in verse 37. I know that you are Abraham's descendants, yet you seek to kill me because my word has no place in you. I speak the things which I have seen with my father. Therefore you also do the things which you heard from your father. They answered and said to him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, if you are Abraham's children, do the deeds of Abraham. But as it is, you are seeking to kill me, a man who has told you the truth which I heard from God. This Abraham did not do. You are doing the deeds of your father. They said to him, We were not born of fornication. We have one father, God. She said to them, If God were your father, you would love me, for I proceeded forth and have come from God. For I have not even come of my own initiative, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I am saying? It is because you cannot hear my word. You are of your father the devil, and you want to do the desires of your father. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature, for he is a liar and the father of lies. That's John chapter 8, verses 37 through 44. And boy, the conversation gets very dark and intense, as we can see. So in this passage, Jesus acknowledges that his Jewish interlocutors are actually biological descendants of Abraham. He acknowledges that particular point that was never in question. So they are indeed Abraham's seed. They are Abraham's children. He acknowledged that. However, and this is very important to grasp, Jesus believes that physical descent, being a biological descendant, is not enough to claim privileges from a famed patriarch, a patriarch like Abraham. It is not enough to claim that you are a descendant of Abraham, because your behavior must also correspond to the patriarch that is being drawn upon for the family privileges. In other words, Jesus is saying something that we can already see being understood within a variety of Jewish texts around the time of the Gospel of John, is that there are two ways of being a legitimate son. And both of these are very important. The first way is that you have to naturally be a descendant of a particular father figure. And the second way is that you have to imitate in your behavior the behavior of that father figure. So there has to be biological descent and there has to be imitation of behavior. And Jesus indicates here that... You have to have both of these in order to legitimately claim privileges from the Father. Jesus makes the argument that the Jews are not doing both of these things. Now, he acknowledges that they are descendants, but he denies that they are imitating Abraham's behavior. On the other hand, in order to legitimate his position as the genuine Son of God, as the true Messiah not a messianic pretender, not someone going around claiming to be this authorized son of God, but is understood as a liar. Jesus actually does both of these things. He is a legitimate descendant of the Father, and he imitates the Father's behavior. Jesus tries to persuade the Jews that he is indeed the legitimate son of God, the Messiah. And this, of course, would validate his messianic claims. It's very important to note that the argument that Jesus is making here is an attempt to legitimate the fact that he is actually the legitimate Son of God, in that he is a true descendant of the Father, and that he is truly imitating the Father's behavior. This is, of course, the way that he understands what it really means to be a son. Jesus tells us the truth, but it's not his truth. It is God's truth that he heard from God, and now he is communicating it as an obedient son. So Jesus is imitating and demonstrating his descent from the Father. Jesus also emphasizes that he's not coming on his own initiative. Jesus is not overreaching. He's not moving outside of the privileges and the prerogatives that he has. He's not reaching and grasping for something that doesn't belong to him. He's not exploiting what he has. And, of course, Jesus continues to make this point that the Father has sent him. The Father sent Jesus. This, of course, means that Jesus is authorized by God the Father, and God the Father has empowered Jesus as a legitimate agent. And so while Jesus points out that the children of Abraham are legitimate biological descendants, but they don't qualify as those that can claim the privileges of this famous patriarch because they are not imitating abraham's behavior jesus claims that he is a legitimate son because he is a descendant of god and he imitates the father's behavior so jesus seeing how the jews want to kill jesus He does not think that they are legitimate sons of Abraham because Abraham never tried to kill a messenger of God. In fact, Abraham is known for his great hospitality of messenger figures, of angelic figures even. So if they are trying to kill Jesus, then they are not children of Abraham. Jesus actually says, you're actually imitating the devil you are children of the devil, you are sons of the devil. Because he says the devil is a murderer from the beginning. So it's important to note the contrast between Jesus' claim to be a legitimate son of the father and the Jewish claim to be legitimate sons of Abraham. The conversation both relies on this shared understanding that sonship involves the descendant-like relationship between a father figure and the children, And the Jews here are claiming to be the biological descendants of their father Abraham. And this means that Jesus' self-declaration to be the son, in contrast to the slave, indicates that he is a descendant of the father. Jesus, of course, with this analogy, is not claiming to be a co-eternal divine being that has always existed, He's not claiming to be the second member of a multi-personal godhead. No, the particular argument indicates that Jesus is claiming to be a descendant naturally in the same way that the Jews are claiming to be descendants of Abraham. And they were not claiming some co-equality with that patriarch figure. Now what's extremely important in this passage is, is that Jesus actually calls himself a man. Jesus calls himself a human being in John chapter 8, verse 40. Now, I pointed this out before. The Gospel of John calls Jesus a human being many times, more times than Matthew, Mark, and Luke called Jesus a human being combined. So there is a heavy emphasis on the Gospel of John portraying Jesus as a human being, a legitimate member of the human race. And here we have Jesus himself saying, I am a man, I am a human being. He's not saying I'm a God-man. He's not saying I'm an angel who took on human flesh. No, he is saying that he is a legitimate member of the human race. What's also interesting in our passage is that the Jews acknowledge their own unitary monotheism. They state that we have one Father, namely God. This is in chapter 8, verse 41, and in the Greek, it is the one Father who is the God, Theon, with the definite article. They are claiming that we have one Father, God. They are acknowledging that they are Unitarians. They only believe that God is a single person, the Father alone. This is not something that any historians of ancient religion would even think is controversial they are acknowledging their own monotheism that they believe that god is a single person the father alone the jews were not Unitarians. the jews were not trinitarians and this is a understanding that jesus shares with the jewish people there's never a controversy over the definition of god the controversy in the gospel of john is the legitimacy of jesus being the true and authentic Son of God, the Christ, the Messiah, the one who has been truly anointed and authorized by the one true God. In this passage, Jesus does not dispute or suggest that the Jews are misunderstood on the point of the Jewish understanding of God as the Father alone, especially in a passage like John chapter 8, where the Jews have many misunderstandings within the particular narrative, the fact that they acknowledge that God is a single person is not one of those misunderstandings. However, acknowledging that God is one person, the Father alone, is not sufficient for saving faith, according to the Gospel of John. Jesus taught that eternal life, the life of the age to come, is to know the only true God, and to know Jesus Christ, whom the only true God has genuinely commissioned. John chapter 17, verse 3. In other words, what you believe about the identity of God and what you believe about the relationship of Jesus to the only true God significantly matters in the context of talking about eternal life. Understanding who God is correctly is not enough. You also, according to the Gospel of John, have to understand the identity of Jesus Christ, who claims in this passage to be a man, a human being. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. Join us next week as we continue our study of John chapter 8. We've got two more misunderstandings in this chapter to tackle. Next episode is going to look at at Jesus' statement about how those who keep his word will never see death and how this particular death was misunderstood by his Jewish interlocutors. So please look forward to our next episode. If you enjoy the podcast, please consider supporting us as we promote the important truths about the oneness and unity of God and the humanity of Jesus, as we have seen in this very passage. If you'd like to offer a donation, you may check us out on PayPal. There is a link to donate in the description of this episode. The Biblical Unitarian Podcast is produced and edited by Dustin Williams. I am Dustin Smith, your host. Until next time, you folks please take care.